You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Let's go to 1 John, and we're going to continue tonight our series, Be Real. And we're going to try to uh, get through... Huh. Every, every, every time I come out, I say, I'm, I'm going to do better this week, and I'm going to get farther uh, than I have in the past. And uh, y'all love me and just put up with that. Uh, but how many appreciate the Word of God? I love the Word of God, and I thank God the Word works. And uh, thank you for those that stood in uh, Sunday night in my absence. I actually was intending on having uh, some men uh, help me out. Uh, at portions in my message, so when uh, I came down sick and wasn't able to be here, they stepped up, and I was able to watch online, thoroughly enjoyed the testimonies and the stories, and uh, praise God for all those. Brother Matt, I'm glad they didn't hold you under in the baptistry, amen, amen, although that is a strategy I've heard people try to use before, frame through and then hold them under, but um, so I want to say thank you to all of them for helping, helping me. Uh, let's go to 1 John chapter number 2, and I, I, I rushed through the end of my notes last week a little bit trying to wrap up, and so I don't want to miss this part, so I want to go back and I want to highlight, we were talking about um, Antichrist, I believe, we were talking about Antichrist, and so uh, Antichrist and seducers, and so I don't know if you have those slides, but that's okay. So we had come to... Uh, 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 verse 18 through, let's go 18 on down through 29, and it talks about two things we talked about the last times, and we talk about Antichrist. I want to bring up this point here tonight, focusing again on Antichrist. There were uh, Antichrist and seducers, enemies of the fellowship, and then Antichrist and seducers, and then we talked about the antidote. We just referenced that. If I have some time, I'll get into that a little bit more tonight, but uh, John gives us three things about Antichrist that we're going to look at here. So before we do that, let's highlight, uh, or let's go back and review. Let's read, and let's pick up in verse 18. So we'll read verse 18 through 29 together, 1 John 18, 18 through 29, and then we're going to jump into chapter 3. And John writes, and he says, little children, it is the last time. And we explain that. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrist. So John makes a distinction here. He, he references and he acknowledges that as the early church, they are anticipating a Antichrist to come. And he acknowledges that. Now, John's writing here at the end of his life, probably somewhere uh, between 90 and 94 AD. Uh, Jerusalem has already been overrun, the temple's already been destroyed in 70 AD, all massive kinds of destruction. And yet here's the early church, they're hanging on, and they're waiting for an antichrist to come. Now, John's the only one that uses the word antichrist, but it's referenced many times in the New Testament uh, uh, from several different authors. But he says here, even now are there many antichrist. And so John is acknowledging there's an antichrist to come, but there is a spirit of antichrist, or antichrist, plural, that is already working. And then if we note, he actually makes some identifications here. He makes some uh, 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 marking character traits that he's speaking, not only in general terms that apply to us today, but back then he's speaking in specific terms that apply to the church then. So let's go and look. They went out from us, but were not of us, for if they had not been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. So He's identifying they went out from us, from you. This is the first generation of, of the New Testament church, and they've been around now, and he's saying they left us. So he's saying there are antichrists. The antichrist is coming, but there are antichrists that you know their name. You know them. You, you, you uh, uh, would see them. You would know them. You, you've been with them. You've talked with them. They went out from us. And then he says, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Verse 20, but ye have an unction from the Holy One and ye know all things. We talked about that last week. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth Jesus is Christ, 
He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So John just said there are Antichrists that went out from us, and now he's giving character traits of these Antichrists. They deny the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Now, if, if you're, I don't know if you're, your particular Bible has the last half of verse 23 in italics. But if it does, and you lose this, sometimes this is lost on digital versions. But uh, uh, if your Bible has italics, the italics were put in there by the translators to let you know that they are completing this thought and it was necessary that these words be added so that you understood the intent because some things in one language don't fully translate word for word in uh, a, another language. There's more than one way to say something. So you got to add things in there. And so the italic shows that they are completing that. They're restating what just was said there. Uh, verse 24, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the truth. That message, that truth that we've been talking about, all of this stuff that we've been talking about in chapters 1 and 2, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So what he's saying is don't add any new thing to what God has already given you. Don't take the Word of God and say, well, this isn't good enough, so we're going to add to this. Hello. This is important here. This is very, very, very important. John is saying don't add something here that has not been given to you from the beginning. You are not God to add on to this. Now, why is this significant? You say, why are you pausing here? Well, it's significant because man, since this time and before, have been doing what? Adding to the Word of God. So our fundamental... Uh, 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 rejection, let's say, of certain uh, religions, even so-called religions that call themselves Christians, uh, uh, the Mormon church, uh, Latter-day Saints, good people, good, I have family in, in that, wonderful people, love them dearly. But the big, the big theological problem that I have is I can't get past 1 John right here, 2 and 24, where John's saying, don't add what you have from the beginning. So a guy 100 years ago, you know, ha has a little bit too much to drink and an angel comes and visits him and he writes a whole nother book is adding to what you have from the beginning. Now that's the extreme. That's the full extreme. So uh, uh, God bless anybody that ever lived. I don't have anything against anybody, but it doesn't matter who they are or where they were in the world. Hundreds of years removed from this, if all of a sudden they say, well, I have a greater revelation... And in doing that, they do what he's saying. They deny the Father or the Son. Then what does John call them? He doesn't call them good people misdirected. He calls them antichrist. Now that's strong. That's strong correction. That's strong instruction. That's strong rebuke. And remember, we're at, what do we say? Code red. Like, here we are. This is dangerous. He's like screaming this, if you will, that this is coming into the church and we've got to beware. We've got to be on guard. And so he goes on. Uh, uh, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father, verse 25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. If we hang on to what he's given us, what John is saying, you've got all you need to make it. And if you just hang on with what God has given you, the gospel and the truth that he's given you, you are going to reap eternal life. And this is the promise. And so John is trying to show us that there's everlasting life. Uh, These things have I written unto you concerning them. He says that, what? Seduce you. So now he's not only giving the character traits of, of the Antichrist, but now he's telling us how they work among us. They seduce there's seduction. There are uh, uh, appeals to your mind, your flesh, your body, your, your, your uh, uh, emotions that are going to seduce you, that are going to lure you in, that are going to draw you in. 
And if you are not aware and alert, you could fall prey to this. And so John's letting us know, don't think that you are above a man falling prey to these things. Don't just think, well, I'm never going to have any, uh, any problems or any issues. So John is saying, no, beware, watch. But the anointing, now not to discourage somebody, he's going to encourage us, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So we talked a little bit last week about the antidote, the anointing and the Spirit of God. Remember that? We talked about that. Listen to the Spirit. The Spirit will lead you and guide you. So John is talking about uh, uh, truth. He's talking about error. He's talking about false doctrine, false teachers, antichrist. He's talking about the word of truth, the gospel truth that has been given to you. But then he's also talking about the spiritual dynamic of being a born-again believer, a child of God, that there is an anointing, there is an unction of the Holy Ghost that is going to lead you, that's going to guide you in truth. We can mark this down, that the unction or the anointing will never tell you anything that is contrary to the Word of God. So if you think, oh, God gave me a new revelation that no one knows, it's not in the Word, it's just me, and He's given it to me to tell the whole world. Okay? You're getting seduced. You're getting lured in somehow, some way. People actually fall for crazy things all the time. It happens all the time. And so uh, uh, John is telling us, but the anointing of God is going to lead you. So we've got truth, we've got the word, and we've also got the spirit. This is powerful. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. And uh, you say, well, well, you know, maybe I don't understand everything there is to understand, but you've got all that you need right here today. You have even more access to the Word of God than sometimes those in the New Testament had because they did not have uh, 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 the quick access, a printed page and everything. And now we have this right here. We've got it on our phone. We've got, we've got the Word of God. And then we have the same Spirit of God that they had back then. So with all of that, you are not going to be able to stand before God on Judgment Day and have an adequate excuse. You're not going to be able to blame me. Right? No, you can try to blame me, but that's not going to get you off the hook. I have to give an account for what I do. I have to give an account for how I handle the Word of God and all that stuff. But you have to give an account for what is given right here in the Word of God. And so uh, uh, John says, And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So he's talking the last times. We've got a lot of things going on. The Lord, the return of the Lord is here. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And now he enters into the next segment. We'll we'll save that. We'll get into that in chapter number three. But here John is talking about Antichrist. A couple things that Antichrist does, and I will give you here, uh, we'll look at a couple characteristics. Uh, Let's look at three. Three things that we know about the Antichrist. Number one, he departs from from the fellowship. He went out from us, antichrist, plural. They went out from us. So the, so the antichrist, there's th- three things. They depart from the fellowship. They went out from us, antichrist. Could it be? I don't know, but maybe the antichrist will be one that was among us. I think we, we, we touched on some of this last week. The second thing is that the antichrist is going to deny the faith. Specifically, though, not just denying the faith, but specifically the Antichrist is going to deny the Father and the Son. The Antichrist is going to deny, amen, the person of Jesus Christ, the sonship of Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, the great I am. The song uh, uh, that is been sang like crazy every Christmas, Mary, did you know? And uh, it ends with, Mary, did you know? Uh, uh, and, you know, all, all the different things. But it ends with, 
that your son, how's it in, is the great I am. That was a powerful, revelatory moment. And I think it's in Luke chapter 1 where Mary sings a song to the Lord at that point of revelation. And the baby is, uh, uh, the babe is still in her womb. And she probably at that point maybe can feel him moving. And yet she says uh, uh, that the, the Lord hath regarded me and chosen me. And in her address, she's talking about the Lord. And she's talking about he, the Lord, the almighty God, the great I am, the one that is before the beginning has become my savior. And that powerful moment as you read in Luke chapter 1 where she's singing, She's singing to the God of all eternity, but he's right here. She's feeling him working inside of her body, in her womb. God manifest in the flesh. And this, the great I am. Wow, I, I, I don't even know what that feels like. I, I, I mean, that, that, the, the, uh, the point of understanding that the great I am is come down and is, is in your home, is in your house, is there with you. Wow, in that point. This is, this is what John is set to defend. He writes his gospel. The gospel of John is written to prove the sonship, the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is not just a rabbi. John is always uh, in every place. John is trying to defend the truth. And, of course, he's writing at the end of his life. So this is critical. In, in the gospel, he's writing about Jesus being God. He is truly God. Here, he's defending the, what he's seen, what he's known, the testimony before the Antichrist saying, don't deny the Father, don't deny the Son, don't deny God manifest in the flesh. Don't deny the incarnation. Don't deny the miracle and the mystery of godliness. And then final book he writes is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what he sees. God allows him to see in the future of eternity where Jesus Christ is openly revealed before all creation. And there is no more a question. There is no more a debate. There is no more argument about that. And here John is saying Antichrist is going to deny father and son. The third thing, uh, uh, so, so of that, the main characteristic is the error of their doctrine or their worldview. And we're seeing that already work. We could say even Antichrist are here today. The third thing is that the Antichrist works to deceive and to seduce. So he deceives and he seduces. They deceive and they seduce. So there is, uh, uh, they depart from the fellowship. So that means there's a departure, there's a difference, there's a distinction. That which is Antichrist will not be in harmony with a Christian lifestyle. You are going to be in conflict with Antichrist, with the spirit of Antichrist, with the culture of Antichrist. Now, that's not something that we're just going to shout and run the aisles on because that's not what we're looking for. I don't want that. I'm not looking for that conflict. But, but the Lord said, they hated me. They're going to hate you also. And he's going to talk about that here a little bit later on in chapter 3, being a child of God. But Antichrist goes out from us. Second, denies the faith, the truth of the Word of God, the person, the identity of Jesus Christ, the bedrock of all foundation. Remember, Peter said, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. If you haven't got that rock right, if you're not at the right rock, you're not going to have the church because Christ said this is where the church is built upon. So it can't be built upon something else. Is anybody paying attention to what uh, the Pope is doing uh, right now where he's bringing in idols? I know you're paying attention to my sermon. Thank you for paying attention to my sermon. I got you. Thank you. You usually get me, but I got you that time. Payback. Pope has brought in, this is the first Pope, uh, uh, and I don't have anything against Catholics. They can be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost just like everybody else. But this pope is doing something that has never been done in the history of the church. And he now brought, did you see the idol of Molech? He brought back the idol. This is, folks, I'm not making this up. You can Google it. An actual, they brought the idol back, and they set the idol up at the entrance of the Colosseum, which the Colosseum is under Vatican rule. 
It's under Vatican uh, uh, control, absolute control. So nothing can be staged, placed, put anywhere except the Vatican signs off on it. And what they are resurrecting are they resurrecting these ancient pagan idols. And they actually have a massive statue of the, of the Molech, uh, uh, which there's all kinds of different uh, cultures that worshipped him, but the Moabites worshipped him. And Molech sitting on a throne right there. They brought it up. There it is enshrined. All this stuff, wonderful. Here it is. Put it on display for everybody to see. Molech was the god, remember, that they would, uh, one of the gods, there was many, uh, but where they would sacrifice their children. And they would throw their children into the fire. And so the Pope's bringing that back in. He's bringing, he allowed that to come back in. Now, I don't know if the Pope said, hey, let's do that. But if it's not the Pope and he's out to lunch and he really doesn't have power, like they say that he has all that control, then somebody there, a part of the so-called church, is bringing these things back in. John says, no, 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 no. You cannot do that. Don't get quiet on me. You can't do that and be the church. You cannot deny that. And so, so this is interesting how, how these things are happening. And he said they will work to deceive and seduce. Se- deceive and seduce. So does church doctrine matter? Absolutely it matters. John is establishing that the doctrine matters here. And John in this epistle is arguing that it matters what you think about Jesus. Now, you've heard me say this a lot, and you've heard me talk about this a lot, especially when we preach from Matthew chapter 16. And if you're not familiar with that, go back and study that again. What you think and say and believe and teach about Jesus is so crucial and so important that John says if you get it wrong, what does he say? You are anti-Christ if you deny the Father or the Son. So what's he specifically talking about? Well, here John addresses the specific issue of the churches in Ephesus, which was who this is believed to have been written through to, and Asia Minor. And around these churches had, uh, 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 there was a group of elitist Christians that had sort of, uh, we're, more, we're smarter than you, we're more intellectual than you, and they had sort of separated themselves from the rest of the church. And this, they had a doctrine called, uh, uh, I'm trying to think if I'm saying it right, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. Uh, docetism, I think, is how you would say that. And it was a precursor to Gnosticism, which would arrive uh, a, a, a little bit later on in church history. But basically what they said was Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. God did not come in the flesh. He only appeared. He was a figment of your imagination. Uh, uh, that, and what they believed was that, that flesh was intrinsically evil, and so God would never dishonor himself by coming down in the flesh. So basically, Jesus Christ didn't come into the flesh. He didn't come in the flesh. If he didn't come in the flesh, then flesh didn't die on the cross, and flesh wasn't resurrected at the tomb, and it was all just this big show, and it was an appearance thing, and later on in Gnosticism down the road, it's not so important that uh, uh, God is delivering man from sin, humanity from sins, and this gets into sort of the blurring of, of philosophy or the, or the intermingling of philosophy and theology as much as Jesus Christ is this wonderful person that frees the mental mind from materialism. And that's really how crazy, like, it got off. And so this is the precursor of this. And they were leaving this, and they were saying that Christ didn't come in the flesh. And John writes, remember what he says in chapter 1? He said, hello, I'm here to testify of the things I have seen. I'm here to tell you of the things I have handled. He said, I was there. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. I walked with him. And I'm here to tell you that everyone that says that he didn't come in the flesh, they are a liar. They are antichrist. I was there when he shed his blood on the cross. And it's because of that blood, amen, that we are set free from sins. This is what John is trying to establish. He did come. He is God. Yes, you may not understand how the God of all eternity could come down in humanity, but that's what happened. I was there. I saw the miracles. I heard the truths. And so he's defending this, and he says, if you don't buy this, if you don't believe this, if you're not listening to this, he says, you're antichrist. 
And so he says, you've got to get this right. Now, that's why we classify ourselves as oneness Pentecostals, uh, uh, because we believe, we believe what, uh, uh, and everybody says this. I don't want to say we believe what the Bible says, because everybody says what the Bible says. Um, and the way they get around that is they change the Bible, too. That, that, that they, they, they edit the Bible or whatever. They pick and choose or they explain things away. But the concept of God being anything but one, singular, is foreign to culture of the New Testament. No New Testament church would have accepted any other truth that God is not one. And so the traditional interpretation or explanation that is, is proclaimed of the Trinitarian doctrine that came out of a council in uh, 325 AD of so-called church fathers. By the way, in, three, in the 300, Gnosticism was already raging at that time. And it was so bad that they said, okay, we got, we got to get this down. We got to nail this down. And so they called a big meeting and said, well, let's agree on this. And they actually came out with, I think there was nine different interpretations of what it meant to be a Trinitarian. But the traditional interpretation was that there, were, uh, there was one God, one unified God, but when they said one, they actually meant there were three distinct persons, and there were three things. So it would be like three of us coming together and say, yeah, we're one in committee, one in government, but we, but we are three distinct separate persons, as in we had three minds. And they said, well, that doesn't work, so they all... They all have separate minds, but their mind is all the same. And it gets so confusing and, and jumbled up. And they were, trying to, they were trying to blend the pagan concepts of the world and Rome, and they were trying to mix those in. And every time you try to blend, it's never going to work. It's never going to function. And so we go back to exactly if Abraham shows up today in 2019 and we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, we want to preach it understood that Abraham, who knew God, while he yet didn't know the promises of God, would not reject the doctrine of Jesus Christ. They would understand, yes, the Bible. Jesus said this, Abraham uh, uh, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. What that means uh, when Christ says that was that Abraham knew that Messiah would come. And he knew that. Where did Abraham have the revelation? When he told his son as he was going up the mountain. And he said, the Lord shall provide himself a sacrifice. When Isaac said to dad, hey, dad, what do we, I know we got the wood and I know we got the, everything else, but what's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord shall provide himself a sacrifice. There was a typology. And Abraham goes up. He hasn't got it figured out. Maybe he thought, well, if, if God asked me to kill Isaac, I'm going to kill him, but God will resurrect him back up. And as he does, the Lord stops and says, no, I provide provided a ram in the thicket. That was symbolism showing that we were not going to have to die, but Christ was going to take our place. But Abraham said, the Lord shall provide himself a sacrifice, not send somebody else. So Jesus Christ was the great I am manifest in the flesh. He wasn't, as some people would say, he's not this Jehovah Junior. He's not a second part of God. He was God. He was the fullness of God. The fullness of God dwelt in him. And the distinction, now sometimes we're not comfortable, or I say we, sometimes oneness people are not comfortable with the language of father and son. And that's very critical. That's very important. Because when we use the language of father and son, we're coming from the context of a Trinitarian context as if there's multiples, and that's not the case. When Christ uses the terminology father and son, he's distinguishing where he comes from. He's distinguishing that Christ, the manifestation, the visible, tangible essence of God fully was, the image of God fully is the offspring of the Father who you do not see, who you cannot touch, who you cannot know. He's beyond us. He's beyond comprehension. He's beyond uh, fullness of, of, of no ability except that he makes himself known. And that God that is transcendent, that fills all, that is without limitation, made himself knowable and manifest himself. And that Father that they would pray to, our Father which art in heaven, the God who created the stars, the moon, and everything else beyond that we can't know, that God that we can't know, has 
has produced himself something that is knowable, that is tangible, and that is the son, the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean he's a different part of God. He is God visible. So we have God invisible and we have God visible. We have God uh, uh, untouchable or un, uh, unknowable, and we have God made knowable, God incarnate, God manifest in the flesh. And Jesus uses that language, son and father. He's using that language to Jews. That's really where that language is pronounced because in the Old Testament, they didn't pray to the father very often. That was not until the New Testament when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray our father, which art in heaven. He was acknowledging to them the God that they've always known, the doctrine, the gospel of the Old Testament, everything. Christ was not changing one thing. He said, I am fulfilling everything that you've known. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, is, was a key tenet of the Old Testament. It still is a key tenet of the New Testament. In fact, so much that they said, Lord, what, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. With all my... That was a key tenet. They were so absolute on the oneness of God, the oneness of God, that God was one. There was not another. I am God all by myself. That was Jehovah. There is none beside me. He constantly was affirming that and telling them that. And when Christ shows up, he's not saying, oh, I'm another, I, 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 I'm part of God. He was coming and he was saying, I am the Jehovah. I am the I am that Moses met. I am the one that called Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. That's why they crucified Jesus. If Jesus would have just come and said, oh, I'm another person of God. I'm another part of the committee of God. They would have said, well, you're just crazy. This guy's just nuts. No, the reason why they killed him was because he claimed to be the very God of all eternity. He didn't only claim it, he proved it. He walked on the water, he calmed the winds and the waves, he healed the blind eyes. And they finally said, we got to kill this guy because if we don't, and they couldn't kill him. And they put him in the tomb and he rose again. Hey, he is God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and what does he say? He's sneaking in by night and he said, I'm a Pharisee and we all know that you're from God but I'm the only one that's willing to show up and talk about it because they're all scared because they know they'll lose their job. But Nicodemus, he testified. He said, we all know that you are God. You see that time and time again. So John comes up and says, listen, Antichrist can creep into the church. Antichrist can creep into the church. Just because it's in the religion section at Barnes & Noble doesn't mean it's right. right? Just because it's on, well, my goodness, it, it, it's, on, it's on the Christian TV radio station. It's got to be good. TV radio station, internet, whatever. Stick with the Word of God. This is what John said. Stay with what was given from the beginning. Now, I don't have a problem with preaching on TV. I hope, I hope, I hope the gospel of Jesus Christ, and truth is being proclaimed through every medium that is possible to communicate to the world. I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. But be careful that antichrist don't creep in and seduce and change things, change things. We're in a culture where we got to be careful that we, don't, that we don't succumb to this. So here they are. They're teaching the false doctrine of uh, docetism, which preceded Gnosticism, and they claim that Jesus only seemed or appeared to be human. This doctrine gained a foothold teaching Jesus had no real human body and the flesh was intrinsically evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have had a human body because he would have never inhabited such a sinful abode. The gospel proclaimed a Savior whose blood was shed on the cross and who bodily rose from the grave. And as an apostle and an older elder, John now writes, refuting this directly. He was letting them know, I was there, I touched him, you've come too late. Doctrine matters. What you think about Jesus matters. And I've, I've, I have 
put an exclamation on this, and I've paused on this point because this is critical that you get this. If you're taking notes, if you're doing anything, write it down. It matters what I think about Christ. Write that down. Get that in your heart. Understand that. It matters. That was the whole point of Matthew chapter 16 when Peter's confession of faith. You can write that down. You can study that on your own. Matthew chapter 16. You can go back to that. Paul's road to Damascus experience. What was that? That was the revelation of Jesus Christ to Paul. So it matters what you think about Jesus. It matters. So, so somebody may be well-intentioned and say, well, I believe in God, and there's a lot of different ways to God. Well, I'm sorry. You're misled. Because the church is only built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. You could be a nice person. You could be hopeful. But that doesn't make that truth. And this is what John said. That won't lead you to eternal life. But if you have what came from the beginning, that's what leads you to eternal life. So John is saying some hard things. Now, I could go on, but I won't belabor the point. I have a lot more stuff here. I'll pass that. The antidote is anointing. I already talked about that. So let's go to chapter number three. And... Now, John has been strong here, and with Antichrist, he's been strong in his rebuke. He's been, I mean, that, that word, Antichrist, I mean, he's not even being nice about it. And he's not being mean. He's not trying to be mean, but he's not watering it down. He's not saying, well, it's unfortunate that we just don't see eye to eye, and they left us. He says, no, they went out from us because they were not of us. And when they went out, it was manifest that they were not of us. They don't have the same spirit that you and I have. They don't have the same spirit that we're chasing after. They may sound the same, they may look the same, but that's not the same spirit. In fact, later on, he's going to say in chapter 4, try the spirits. And we'll get to that later on. But now John does something powerful. And he, he, he balances this harsh reality. Now, we've been going through 1 John, and it, it, it's... It's tough. It's sort of in your face. It's sort of slapping you upside the face a little bit, if you will, so to speak. Don't love the world. Don't, there's Antichrist coming. You're living in the last day. This is code red. This is what, I mean, this is sort of forceful. And now John counterbalances everything, rightfully so, with this concept or this topic of love. And so the next point in our, in our, in our, our outline would be the implications of God's love. The implications of God's love. And the timing of this could not be more perfect. And later on, he's going to do it again. He's going to mirror the same thing. In chapter 4, he's going to start out, and he's going to say, look, you can't believe everything. There's false spirits. Test the spirits. And we'll talk about that. And then immediately after, he talks about going around with, with a barometer, testing the spirits that you encounter. He balances that with love. Lest we sink into this critical, hateful, wrathful, judgmental state, he balances it with love. The motivation here that John has for so strongly speaking out against Antichrist is the love of God. He's saying, look, I care about you. I want you to have everlasting life. So I'm not going to let you stay in a burning house. I'm not going to let you run into a burning house. I'm not going to let you fall in that pit. I love you. And thus, my, my harsh response. Sunday morning we were in the office and Luke is not here tonight so I'll, I'll tell this without fear of embarrassing him. But he took my key and I wasn't paying attention and he walked over to the outlet and he was trying to put my key inside of the outlet. And you all know what that does. And I didn't catch it but all of a sudden I just looked up and I saw him and I panicked. And I don't know, Sister Barbara, if you were in the toddler class, if, if you were, you would have heard me because I yelled out, Luca! But the tone of my voice was different than when I yell at him for getting into the cookies or something like that. There was a, there was a, 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 a fear, a authority. There was a, a, an alert in my voice, just in my tone. I didn't even think I said it that loud. Luca, no! And when I said it, he turned around and looked at me, and his face got all up, and he started crying. And he knew there was something. There was something different about that. And I went over and I picked him up and I held him. And I was explaining to him why you can't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. And that was, Daddy. But when I yelled at him, I caused him to cry in that moment, which was probably a good thing because he needed to withdraw from that. But that was motivated out of love. And this is the same thing that John does here. It's motivated out of love. 
it's, it's like he sees, he sees you dabbling around with this false doctrine and he's saying, no, get this out. There, 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 there's, this, there's this evil that'll, that'll it'll shock you, it'll electrocute you, it'll, it'll, it'll cause sudden death. And he's speaking out against that. And so now he goes back into this and we're going to look at this. We have the children of God in the first uh, uh, two, uh, uh, 10 verses and then we have the implications of God's love. So let's look at this here. Um, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead, aren't I? Am I skipping ahead? Yes, I think I'm skipping ahead. So we're going to get to the love of God. That's the second half of chapter 3. And he's counterbalancing this with us, but he's going to identify some things. So let's go on. Before we get to the love of God, let's go back to him slapping us upside the face a little bit. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And then he goes from that, there's sort of a segue. Remember when he wrote it, there was no divisions in the chapters. Chapter three, behold what manner of love. Here it is, the love. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. So his motivation here, he highlights it and he brings out the love of God. But he's going to distinguish, number one, it's, it's God's love that brings us in to the church. Now are we the sons of God. Beloved, in, chapter, in verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. So the subject of love, this, this is what he's counterbalancing this. And let me just pause and say this here. John tells us to test the spirits. John tells us about Antichrist. And the way we know about Antichrist is we're going to have an unction. We're going to have the Spirit's going to lead us. There's going to be times. There's going to be issues. There's going to be, we have the truth. And so anybody that brings not truth, hello, there's an alert. There's a red flag. Anybody that is talking incorrectly about Christ, about the Father, about God, uh, uh, doctrinally, there's a red flag that comes up. And so we are constantly living in this state of making, let me use the word, judgments. I'm making judgments right now. While I'm talking to you, my body is, 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 I'm walking, I'm taking steps, and my body is making judgments. It is, it is uh, calculating the steps. It is making counterbalances so that I don't get off weight. In that context, I'm saying we make judgments. We're navigating this world in this walk with God, and we are making judgments. Is this of God? Is, is this a safe foothold here? Am I okay to step here? We're making those judgments, but as we're making those judgments, we are undergird by the love of God. Lest we become this critical-minded, hateful, wrathful people that is always pushing people down and always skeptical and never having any hope. No, we are people of promise. We are people of hope. We are people of life. And so if you have, if you have one without the other, you're unbalanced. If you say, well, you just got to love, you just got to love. No judgment. We're in, we got to be in a judge-free zone and just love, love, love. That's like, that's just like putting the electricity out there in the middle of the room and putting kids in there and say, just love, don't even worry about it. It's like giving your child knives and saying, just love, don't even worry about it. It's where nobody's going to, they're going to kill themselves. You've got to have a balance here. And if you take love out and all you're left with the judgment, you're going to kill each other. And so you've got to have this balance. And so he brings this balance here into our life. And as soon as he goes to this, he's talking about the love of God. Beloved, what manner of love, the, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. We are the children of God. We're like Christ. And so we're going to take on his traits. So here we are, the children of God. We inherit, let me say this, we inherit his traits. We are his children, so we inherit his traits. So if the world hates him, they're going to hate me. Now, do I want to be hated by the world? No. But I don't want to be loved by the world and, and unknown by God. I, 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 if I have to pick and choose... And, and sin makes me pick and choose. I'm going with God every time. You say, well, you're just hateful. And you just, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm smart. I'm sticking with eternal life. I, there's no, 
reflection on any, anything else, but I'm staying with the Lord. And, and if I stay with the Lord, there is going to be an aspect. Now, I think we got to, that's not a license. Say, well, see, the world doesn't like us. The world doesn't know us. That's not a license to make the world not like you. Okay? We were talking about this today at lunch, that uh, a qualification of a minister is that he has a good reputation. And in the context of that reputation, it was not a good reputation within the church. It was a good reputation outside of the church. Because what good are you if you have a good reputation in the church or in your family, but you have a bad reputation out there? No, a qualification for ministry was that you had a good reputation, that, that you did not cheat, that you were not dishonest, that, that you had an, an honorable reputation among men. So, so that doesn't give you a license to go on and do that. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? Now, so we could talk about that. You become a son of God when what? When we are born. To as many as received them, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, who were born not of flesh, not of blood, but of the will of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12. That's John saying that in his gospel. You're the son of God. John also in John chapter 3 tells the story of Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of spirit. And then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he's talking about becoming a son of God. We know this in verse 2. He's talking about the new birth experience. Thank God for the new birth experience. That's what I talked about Sunday morning. Thank God. Amen. That's what makes us. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, everybody say when, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, he previously, in verse 28, talks about the confidence that we should have and not be ashamed at his coming. So when the Lord comes back, he says there's going to be a change. Paul talks about this. This mortal shall take on immortality. This corruptible shall take on incorruptibility. And uh, he said we shall, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And he talks about us getting a glorified body. Praise God. Hallelujah. No more headaches. No more backaches. And John says, we don't know yet what, it's gonna, what we're going to be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, he's talking about the hope of everlasting life here. Now, note this. And every man that hath this hope in him, that's Christ, purifieth himself, even as he, Christ, is pure. So not only are we uh, uh, taking on his traits in verse 2, we are going to be like him in glory or in eternity. But then in verse 3, he, and I'll pause here, he gives us the holiness of hope. And this is an entry study. And I, because of the sake of time, I'll go ahead and I'll stop here. And we'll pick back up with the let no man deceive you section. He says in verse 3, can we put verse 3? Every man that hath this hope, what's the hope? The hope is everlasting life. The hope is, is life eternal in Christ. Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure, as Christ is pure. If you have the hope of everlasting life, you purify yourself. You prepare yourself. You keep yourself clean in anticipation. When you know the bridegroom's coming, to take from the parable of the Lord, you make sure your lamps are trimmed and well-oiled. You're waiting because there's something coming. There is a measure of holiness. There is a purification process that is not only welcomed and invited, but is acted out in the heart of every believer that has this hope. Now, here's an interesting study I did a few years ago, personally. And that is, go and look everywhere in the epistles where Paul the Apostle talks about eternity. And everywhere he talks about eternity, there's a statement, an admonishment, an acknowledgement, an edification to holiness. Every time he talks about heaven or he talks about eternity, there's this call to holiness. Make yourself ready. There's a direct connection between the hope of eternity and holiness. And when men and theologies take away the eternal and what it takes to be, uh, uh, make it in eternity, we undercut, amen, there's no need for holiness anymore. If there's no, there's no hell, you know, contemporarily today, there's no hell anymore. Oh, you just live your life. And if there's no heaven, or if there's no hell, then there's no real heaven. 
And if there's no heaven, then there's no need to prepare yourself for that. And if there's no need to prepare yourself for that, then there's no holiness. Then I can just live how I want in this moment. There's nothing. But as a Christian, we are different. We live in light of eternity. That haunting little voice. I'll never forget after I got the Holy Ghost as a young, as a young kid, as a child, as a young man. I remember getting in trouble one time and my mom's, she came over and I don't know, she probably was at that point of frustration as I can only imagine. I will be 10 years down the road in dealing with kids of like, I don't know what else to do. And she was in desperate mode and she looked at me and she said, do you have the Holy Ghost? And I'm like, you know, that put me on the spot, like right here, you know. Did you get the Holy Ghost? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Is this the way somebody filled with the Holy Ghost should act? Do you think God is happy right now? Do you think if lightning struck you that you're going to heaven right now? Oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm wanting to go repent. And I'm wanting to go pray. The fear of God got a hold of me. It does something to me. When you have that in perspective, it makes you say, God, I want to be ready. I'm going to tell you, you can't, you can't misstep in your walk with God, the error of your ways, without having that come back in my mind and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You get on a plane, there's a whole lot of people praying. Because they're thinking, what if this is it? I don't know. God, if you're real, but just in case, Lord, I'm really sorry for everything I've done. Because people think, hey, if heaven or hell is closer than I thought it was, you're preparing your heart. This is what John said, every man that hath this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I want to live with heaven in view every day. You never know the moment. You never know the hour. You never know the time. Amen. And I want to be ready to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Stand together with me tonight. Can we thank the Lord together? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your love. Your love that balances, God, every justice, every judgment, God, everything, Lord. Your love that is the motivator, God, for your instruction, your correction. I thank you for every promise. I thank you for every hope, God. It's only by your grace that we stand here today. We are nothing, God. But it's because you reached down and saved us and brought us out and redeemed us. God, help us walk true to your word and help us to stay true to what you've given us. Help us not to add, Lord, and build up our own kingdoms, but God, help us to love you, to love the things of God, to love the word of God. Lord, I don't want to be anti-Christ. I don't want to be living, God, anti to everything that you have, but Lord, let me walk in truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Bless every family. Bless every home tonight, God. We thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name.